We thank you, Lord, that we have the hearts in the minds, in the thoughts to sing that song with all of our hearts. Lord, I ask that you continue to encourage us to each day, Lord, give ourselves to you. We love you, Lord, and as we review your word and study from your word. I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us through your word, that they not just be words, but that they be food for our soul to help us grow closer to you, to be more like you. May your word fall on an open heart, an open mind, and may the applications, Lord, be provided by your spirit for each individual person. In Jesus' name, amen. So those of you that have been here, you know that we have been in the book of Nehemiah. It's been an amazing journey to study the book of Nehemiah. Uh, the theme, or one of the themes of Nehemiah is that we observe through a man who had a passion for people. We observed how God used him. A man who had came from humble conditions, from a broken community, from a poor community, from a community that was enslaved. But yet God built him up, gave him a passion for his people, and God used him humble man, to restore broken people, a broken community, and as a result, restore broken lives. We have learned so far from Nehemiah that the people that God called Nehemiah to serve already had all that they need, that they needed to restore their broken condition. God just used Nehemiah to organize them, to encourage them, and to remind them that in order to restore their broken condition, that there was a creator who loved them, who has given them all the gifts and all that they need in order to restore their broken community. I don't know what you're going through this morning, and we all go through different things at different times. But what we're learning from the book of Nehemiah it is that the God of the universe recognizes our broken conditions. He truly does see you. He truly is aware of your individual circumstances, and we've learned that not only through Nehemiah, but those of you that have spent any time studying God's word, being around God's people, learning from God's word, you realize that it may not feel like God is with you. But sometimes 
the truth of God's word and the reality of his existence, in the memories of the fact that he has been with you time and time again, has to rise up and remind you that it may not feel good right now, but he is faithful and he is truly with you. But we've learned in chapter 6 that as soon as you get encouragement from your Christian friends, encouragement from the preacher, as soon as you make up in your mind that you are going to give your life to the Lord, that the time is now that you are tired of living the way you have been living. As soon as you make up in your mind to restore your broken condition, there's always something or someone that shows up to distract you, discourage you, or try to deceive you. We learned last week in Nehemiah chapter 6 that there were the three D's that Nehemiah had to look out for, that God taught him to look out for, and that he's teaching us to look out for that those three Ds not only happened in Nehemiah's day, in Nehemiah's circumstance, but they happened for us today, and it's a continual cycle. Some of you have made up in your mind, you're going to follow Jesus. But what you have to keep being reminded is that the three Ds of the enemies of God's people will continue to show up. Nehemiah had distractions. We learned last week from chapter 6, and we're going to review what we learned from chapter 6, and then we will teach some principles that hopefully God is teaching us through Nehemiah to help us get victory in our Christian walk. Nehemiah learned that the distractions that he had had a purpose. His enemies, those that came upon him during the time he was trying to do God's work, they had a strategic strategy. And in verse 9 of chapter 6, Nehemiah knew that they wanted to stop him from doing the work of the Lord. They wanted to distract him, discourage him, and deceive him. At the end of the day, when you decide to give your life to the Lord, when God has called you, the number one focus of not only, as we talked about, the unseen demonic realm, but the people that the demonic realm often brings into your lives to distract you, discourage you, or deceive you, the ultimate goal is so that your hands will stop from doing the work that God has called you to do. And Nehemiah recognized that he was discouraged because of the consistent distractions that would not stop because he learned about folks that try to distract him and discourage him is that they often seem like they don't give up. Just when you think you try to ignore them, they continue over and over again. Let me ask you all a question since last week, those of you that have been here. Since last week's message, did you experience any 3Ds this week? See, it don't take long 
as soon as the benediction happens, as soon as you walk out those doors, the distractions, the discouragement, the deception continues. So we have to be reminded time and time again and be aware, like God taught Nehemiah and through Nehemiah wants to teach you and I, that these three Ds of the enemies of God to distract you from doing his work will continually show up. The thing about discouragement is we learned last week and we learned from Nehemiah is that discouragement is normal in today's world and culture. We all get discouraged. We talked about even our Lord Jesus Christ on his way to the cross, knowing that he would be separated for a moment from his father for you and me because he loved us. He sensed discouragement. He was discouraged when he seen how sin affected those that he loved, Martha and Mary, and there was death. Although he knew, being the God of the universe, the condition of mankind, and that victory would come. Although he sees the end, yet he sees the impact that sin has on mankind. Even though you and I know we have victory in Jesus, we know what our destiny is, we know we're going to come through it. It is natural for us to get discouraged along the way. What you don't want to do is deny discouragement. Now, you don't want to dwell on it. You don't want to give it victory. But we all get discouraged, and what Nehemiah did during his discouragement is he recognized the source of his encouragement. He said, Lord, in Nehemiah 6, verse 9, strengthen my hands. The reason why this is important because in the midst of Nehemiah's mission, in the midst of him being beat down and distracted and discouraged, he realized who he needed to go to. For some of you, I don't have to tell you this, but when we get discouraged, when we get distracted, one of the also tricks of the enemies in the negative thoughts in our own mind is to move away from the Lord when we're discouraged. Amen? Our knee-jerk reaction, if you please, our instinct, that part of us that is what the Bible calls our flesh, even when we have God's spirit, naturally wants to move away from the Lord when we get discouraged. Because somehow in our minds, and also those on the outside, gives us the impression that discouragement means that God is not with you. Or that when things happen to discourage you, the thoughts come to your mind that God is not with you. We want to get our thoughts right this morning. We want to get our minds right this morning. We want to get our thinking right this morning. So that when deception comes, when discouragement comes, when distraction comes, that we think the right way and that we move towards God, not away from God, during discouragement. When you see your brother and sister discouraged, or when you are discouraged, it's okay to let them know, I'm discouraged. But I am going to depend upon the Lord. I am going to ask the Lord to strengthen me, and could you pray for me to strengthen me? Just practical things. Let us not as a body or as Christian friends 
not give people the open space to be discouraged. Let's not get so Christian cultured that we don't want to tell people the truth about our conditions. Now, the last one to review from Nehemiah 6 is that deception. As we mentioned last week, this is the toughest one. In Nehemiah's case, it was someone who he trusted. In Nehemiah chapter 10 through 13, or 11 through 13, we see that Nehemiah went to the house of the preacher. And we see that the preacher, the man with the title, someone that he trusted, was seeking to deceive him. When it's somebody that you trust, when it's a friend, or when it's somebody with a title, or somebody that comes into your life that are saying all the right things, you have to sometimes recognize when God has not sent them. This is hard for most of us. I have been a Christian since I was 19 years old. I'm 47. This is the most difficult of what I've observed from people who are trying to live the Christian life. It is when they are deceived, it is when people come into their life that seems as if they are for them. But anytime, anytime somebody moves you or that relationship does not move you closer to God or moves you away from God's work, you really might want to think through whether or not that is deception. Because what Nehemiah realized is that even though this was a prophet, he realized that God did not send him. And the reason why or how he realized that is that Nehemiah, seeing that this man was trying to get him to move away from God's work, and he had twisted God's word. He twisted God's word even to move him from God's work. I think, verse 13, or rather, oh, verse, verse 13 is there. Nehemiah realized that this prophet was all about profiting. He was prophesying on Nehemiah. And although Nehemiah recognized that he was a prophet or that he was prophesying, he realized that he was a false prophet. Because Nehemiah recognized that even though he trusted this person, even though they would put Jesus on the end or on the front of everything, even though you have people that will use religious language, they may twist the word of God, whether it's a minister, whether it's someone who seems as if they're a Christian, whether it's just someone who seems as if they want to build a relationship with you, but they say, oh, they, they, they go into church with you, or they, they Christian too. See, be careful when folks put religious language 
on top or at the end of something, but yet they are leading you to sin against God. And the ultimate goal of deception is to get you to turn away from God and not serve God and sin against God, and then your testimony or your witness or your reputation gets a bad name as a Christian. This one is difficult and it's tough because I've been there. Because when you are emotionally attached and when you have built a relationship with someone that you trust, sometimes even the truth you do not want to hear. Because your mind has been deceived. You have been taken in and emotionally drawn in, and your emotions become realer than the truth. Or even if you know the truth, you still won't obey it because you are addicted. Nehemiah recognized that he would not allow even someone who seems as if they could be trusted, he would not allow that person to distract him. Now, what do we learn from Nehemiah? And now, today, we're going to make an application to you today in the New Testament church. We have been going through the book of Nehemiah. We have been teaching from the scriptures and doing what we call exegeting or expositing the word or looking at the passages in Nehemiah, teaching from them, making the application. But today, we're going to do something slightly different. We're going to piece together some biblical puzzles, some truth of scriptures to make application to how we can be deceived, distracted, and discouraged today as a New Testament church and what you do about it. What Nehemiah did that we can learn from is that in verse 12, he understood and he saw what was of God and what was not of God. Nehemiah 6, 12. He understood and saw what was not of God and what was of God. How? How did he know this in this context? The first way he recognized it is that the prophet misused God's word. We're emotional people, right? As human beings, we're emotional. We operate, many of us and most of us, heavily by feelings. And so when someone tells us what we want to hear or someone makes us feel good, whether that's an experience, whether that's an atmosphere, whether that's an individual that seems to look good and they say things that make you feel good. That is when we are most vulnerable to deception. But Nehemiah had an understanding because he noticed that this prophet had misused God's word. Nehemiah was so committed to God's word that he stood on it despite how he felt. 
He understood and saw that God had not been with him, but he had misused prophecy. The first principle that we talked about last week is Nehemiah had discernment, the fourth D. It always starts according to the biblical principles or the Bible, and it teaches it often in the New Testament, that Christians need to have discernment. What is discernment? Well, discernment is first what we learn in Nehemiah is it's understanding and knowing what God says and what God says to you versus what man or other people say to you. It's knowing God's word. When we hear the word discernment, a lot of us that have been in church a lot, you, you hear this word a lot, having discernment. But it's really a natural, normal word. We made a comparison last week. Women say we have women's intuition, okay? They have the ability, they sense things much better than guys. We are generally clueless, okay? Discernment generally can be a natural gift. But the Bible says that God gives you supernatural discernment when you are connected to him. And he also has provided discernment for us by, through men of God, and women of God throughout history, giving us wisdom through them to develop his word so that we can look at it. Now, this is obvious. All of us have heard all the time to know God's word, right? To study God's word. The problem is not that we're telling you to do this or that you don't know this. The problem is always the application, right? My prayer and my hope is that over time through radius that we really, really help you understand the importance and significance of God's word and you studying it more than just on the surface. We will tap the surface because we always have to start with the basics. But you not knowing God's word and not getting God's word in your soul is detrimental to your life. More than many of us realize. It is not just hearing God's word from the preacher week after week. That's a good thing. But it's how you make God's word a part of your daily diet in order for you to have victory in the Christian life. Let me ask you a question. And Chris, this is not for you. <laughs> when was the last time you read God's word. Now, that's not a question to shame. That's just a question to just think about it and have observation. If you are a Christian here today, and I'm speaking to Christian folks right now, and folks that are not sure if you know the Lord will get to you before it's over, because don't really expect you to be waking up every morning and said, I'm going to study God's word. Because if you are searching to know who God is, it makes sense that you are not studying his word. But those who name the name of Jesus Christ, who are looking to have victory, not be deceived, not be discouraged. If you are not studying God's word, the results are likely that you are not doing his work. When you don't know God's word, when it's not getting in your soul, the result is you don't have a sense of purpose and you don't have a sense of your identity. 
Because your identity and who you are comes through God teaching you that through his word. Then you must obey God's word. Knowing God's word and not obeying God's word, the book of James says that's like going to a mirror, looking at it, and then walking away and forgetting who you were. Makes no sense. If you don't obey it, you can't learn from it. It's God's word is not just about giving you information. It's about transforming you and transforming your life. And then you have to know God's plan or you find out God's plan through God's word initially. Okay, so those are the three. We'll be touching on those three from time to time as we look at some scriptures. But that lays a foundation. We don't want you to be 3 d Christians. And the way that you don't get 3 d is by these three principles. Okay. Now, the application for New Testament Christians today. We're going to start off with what the apostle says in 2 Corinthians 11.3. He said, he used the language fear. He says, I am scared for y'all. I'm scared to death. I'm afraid. As he's writing this letter to his Christian brothers and sisters in Corinthians. I am afraid that just like in the beginning, Back in Genesis, where it all started, where Eve was deceived by the crafty serpent, that your thoughts in your mind, you will be deceived and be led away from pure devotion to Jesus Christ. That is Paul's fear for the Christians today. That is my fear for myself. That is our fear for each other, that is what the enemy wants to do. Now, notice Paul was specific here. He says, he didn't say that you wouldn't name the name of Jesus Christ and say you're a Christian. See, that's not what deception does. As a matter of fact, when deception really works well against a Christian, you say you're a Christian, but you don't live like it. That's what the enemy wants to do. That's how he uses people. He wants to knock down all the soldiers of Christ so that the church will not be effective. And it always starts with individuals. He says, I am afraid, I'm scared to death that you will not be committed to Christ. So, What then is the mission of the church after that statement? Ephesians 2. God loves you. You are, in Ephesians, God's work. In Nehemiah, God gave Nehemiah a vision and a mission to rebuild the walls of a city 
so that his people would have pride. When the New Testament, when Jesus came on the scene and he looked at what we really needed, he looked at individual people and he says, you are God's building. Jesus came on the scene and he looked at the disciples and he said to them, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus made it personal. That the God of the universe truly does love us is the message of the New Testament. I have used this illustration time and time again, and it's always relevant. Parents, we, those that are parents, and those that are old enough now to understand that your parents were smarter than you thought they were, whenever a parent gives a child instructions, when it's a good parent, it is purely out of genuine love. A parent's goal is to work on that child, to develop that child for their benefit so that they can grow. God says that in Ephesians, you are his workmanship. Say, I'm his. Now understand something and understand what God understands is that you are a project. Okay? So recognizing and understanding that God recognizes that you are a project is important because it can get discouraging when time and time again we don't do what we want to do. But you need to understand Ephesians chapter 2 is an essential passage because it is a passage about a God who prepared beforehand to work on you even though he knew you are a mess. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God prepared way beforehand, way before you even knew him, that you would walk in them. See, you are a project. You're not what you should be, but God has a plan that you will walk in what you're going to be. Now, let's understand something about good works. If we take out Christ Jesus in the culture and world that we live in, everybody wants good works, most people. The challenge with Christian good works is the name of Jesus Christ. Because being a good person in general is not something people will be against. As a matter of fact, your deceivers or people that are trying to bring you away from Christ, they will say to you, ain't nothing wrong with doing this. You're a good person. You don't have to do all of that. You don't have to be trying to go to church every week or try to live for God every week. Living for Jesus Christ seems as if it has went from being unpopular to unheard of. But being a good person is universally okay. So if you want to not understand what God's plan is for your life, all you have to do is take Jesus Christ out of the equation and just be a good person. 
But what you need to understand and what we can't be deceived in as the church, because what's happening with the church is the church is off track. Because it is what Jesus Christ wants us to do and be associated with his name is what is happening to the church where we're moving away from Jesus Christ. We're fine in the church house. It just don't work anywhere else in life. Church has become a location rather than how we live our life. I'm sorry, y'all. I sent something. It was like, okay, Lord, that hit somebody. You are God's building. The mission of the church. What is the work of the New Testament church today? Why does the church exist? Why should, should I be here? It's not to prophesy or prophesy or to have profit. The mission of the church is to develop you. You are God's building. I am God's fellow worker. God wants me and some of you to build each other up. That's why we're here. You are God's project. So what should we be doing with God's project, with you? Colossians 1.28 makes that clear. Remember, we are piecing together the puzzles of multiple scriptures in order to teach us the principles here in God's word as it applies to New Testament Christians. Paul says, him we proclaim, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The goal of the church, the goal of the minister, is not for you to continue to always be a baby, but the goal is to grow you up so that you can get out the house, so that you can have your own spiritual children, so that you are discipling someone. The goal is maturity as a Christian. Sometimes Christians can be Christians for 20 years or more and not be mature. Because the church has lost its focus, not all churches, but a lot of churches, has lost its focus on what the mission is. Where did these disciples or where did these apostles in these New Testament passages get this from? Where did they get this idea? What is the mission of the church and where did it come from? Some of you know these passages, Matthew 28. Again, we're tying them, some of them together. Jesus told them as he was leaving, here's what it's about, fellas. Here's what it's about, ladies. I need you to go and make people that act like me. I want you to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then I want you to teach them to obey. Jesus, when he gave the mandate, the mission of the church, what the church should be doing, he didn't just say teach them information. He didn't just say, I want you to go 
and be a great preacher and be great prophets and make sure that you get all the glory and make sure that you are entertaining them. He said, I want you to teach them to obey. Obey what? Everything that I've commanded you. Now let's stop for a minute. Just think about this for a minute. Quick little simple observation. If I'm trying to do what Jesus said do, and if I'm supposed to make disciples, which means mentoring, which means developing people to be more like Jesus, and I'm supposed to teach them all that Jesus taught them, what is, and what's revealed to us that Jesus taught them, there's um, at least 66 books in the Bible. He taught them about the Old Testament and the New Testament. The scripture says that Jesus revealed to the disciples everything in the Old Testament that spoke about him. Then they walked with him. They talked with him. They observed him. They taught him. Then they wrote it down. The, spirit, the Bible says the Spirit helped them supernaturally to remember this stuff, to gain it, and then they wrote it down, and we're supposed to teach it. Now, how am I going to teach you everything that Jesus said and did? How long do you think that takes? Think about it. I most definitely can't teach it to you if you don't want to be taught it, right? Can't force you. But think about the commitment it takes to learn to do what Jesus said do and to teach you all that he said and did. I wonder if I can do that for you in three or four Sundays a year. <laughs> I wonder if I can be the one that does that for all of you. Can I do that for all of y'all? No. One person can't do it. It can't be done just through a system of weekly services if you really pay attention and study the Bible for yourself and see how Jesus discipled, it was a life commitment. It was in everything they did. It was when they walked together. It was when they talked together. It was in, in everywhere they went. It was a complete lifestyle. I remember back in the day, well, not back in the day, not too long ago, about 10 years ago, people used to, I used to talk to people, they used to be like, Phew, I'm glad church ain't the way it used to be. They used to have us in church five days a week, right? Criticism on that, which I get it, okay? Especially if you're in church five days a week, you know, and you're just being talked to. But it's interesting that there's criticism about being involved in church stuff when the reality is, there's no way the church can do what it's mandated to do and let it's, it's a total focus of God's people to become more like Christ. But here's why it's a problem. Because when there's distractions, when there's deceptions, when there's other things that take priority, and when there's not perspective on what life is really about, it's easy to be deceived into thinking being in church too long is a problem. I got to get to the game. Because our minds have been affected. So what we think about the Bible is, and what we think about Christianity, we have been deceived quite often by churches and preachers. 
And then in some cases, just by our own lack of focus and interest in knowing God's word and our purpose through God's word. All right. He said, teach them to obey, make disciples. And then in, in Acts 1-8, just touch on this. He told them towards the end, you're supposed to be a witness. Remember in Nehemiah, Nehemiah understood. He understood that whoever was deceiving him and distracting him didn't want him to do the work of the Lord. No way you're going to be hearing a lot about making disciples and mentoring other Christians. You're not going to hear that a lot. And then Nehemiah recognized his reputation as a Christian was also something that those that wanted to see would do. And what Jesus says is you need to make disciples, that's the work, and be a witness. And those are the two things, the two biggest things in the church today that's under attack. When you don't have a goal in life, you don't know your purpose. It's easy to get lost and off track. My brothers and sisters, I will say to you that there's a risk of churches getting off track. Because your goal and your purpose, the target has been moved. From making disciples, knowing what church really is, to just kind of having church. And when you encourage or try to teach people to do that, see, it takes time. It takes commitment. And, you know, we got priorities. We got other things to do. <clears throat> Let me tell y'all a little quick testimony about myself. Chris, I'm going to pick on Chris again. He'll say to me a lot, man, you went to Bible college, right? <laughs> man, you should, you, man, I wish I, I wish I knew this. I wish I knew that. Like you. Let me tell you something. Or, or you got the time to do this. I hear that a lot, man. You got the time to do this. Let me tell you something. When I was in college, when I first went to college at 24, 5 years old, or 23, I had five kids, three jobs, no vehicle, not a lot of time to study. God put me in a position to learn. But it wasn't an easy position, and it wasn't guaranteed that I had the time. Those of you that have been college students, just think now, you as a college student, people think you got a lot of time to study, right? You don't necessarily have a lot of time to study, especially if real life is happening. When you got 21 credits or 18 credits, I was not in a position that was better than anyone else. I was in a more difficult position. And God will often put you in difficult or allow you to be in difficult positions to let you know that he is with you. I had three jobs, five kids, no time to study. Through my four years of college, I did not get a lot of God's word in me. I learned on the surface. But when... The time came. It was after college. When, I, when the Lord moved on me and said that I need to give myself to him and I need to study with purpose and I need to teach. When I began to study the word of God, as a person like you out there, I was not a preacher. 
God began to teach me his word, and I began to learn from the spirit of the Lord. I went to like 10 different denominations. I didn't know who to believe, but the spirit of God, through me studying his word, taught me truth. I observed Brother Anderson not having a Bible degree. Come from being a young Christian to up here expositing the word because he had a passion for God's word. If you here today want to know God's word, you want to grow in your faith, it's not about being too busy. It's not about all the distractions. It's about do you really desire what God has for you? Do you want to discipline yourself to be the Christian that God has called you to be? The church has gotten off track. Okay. A couple other things here. We need encouragement from discouragement. Romans 8 and Matthew 6, 33. We're getting down the road here towards the end. One of the things that God understands, and you see that in his word as you study his word, is that he understands that even though the words that are coming out of my mouth is coming to your ears, even though you will get this information, there's sometimes discouragement in real life happens and we wonder if it's worth it. Romans 8, God always has a word of encouragement. If he gave you Jesus, if he revealed Jesus to you, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I have lived this, and some of you can amen to this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, not just for me, but for you, how will he not with him take care of all your other stuff? I truly do believe through the scriptures that God cares about us prospering. But the unbalance of prosperity preaching is that if you don't seek first the kingdom, because, see, Jesus knows that you have stuff. And I had stuff, and I continue to have stuff. But he wants you to know, and some of you know this, but you just need daily encouragement, like me, that he gave up Jesus he revealed his son to you, and he's going to take care of all the other stuff you got going on. Some of y'all are encouraged here this morning, but you are going through some tough stuff. And I'm here to tell you on the authority of the word of God, on experience in life, and what Jesus himself says, that if you seek first the kingdom of God and getting right with him, he's going to take care of you. So, how to develop broken people. Some other passages here. Home stretch. The word of God is not designed just to give you information, but it's designed to transform your thinking, to heal you, your broken soul, 
the word of God is not just words on a page. God uses his inspired word in unique ways. One of the things we need to understand about the word of God and how you grow as a Christian is that you don't grow as a Christian just by only trying to do the best you can. That is going to sound odd. Because most of us struggle with this simple but sometimes um, unique Christian concept that we need to observe and that I'm going to try to articulate the best that I can with the scripture's help. The reason why some of us continually not grow in Christ has been said, but now we're going to look at the scripture to look at it from another angle. You grow spiritually the same way you grow naturally. You don't tell a newborn baby to just walk. Try hard to walk, right? What are they, about terrible twos? Is that when they start walking? <laughs> Ones, onesies, about one. They don't come out a few months out of the wombs and you just like, you got to, they keep trying. Like, why ain't you walking? <laughs> Baby grabbing, you talking about walk. That's quite often what happens in the Christian world. The preacher says, walk, and you said, I'm trying to walk. But I keep falling. In Peter, 1 Peter 2.2, he tries to help us understand. The Bible and our God always gives us natural illustrations to help us understand spiritual realities because they can be difficult. He says, as newborn babes, the way you're going to grow is that you need some milk. See, the way little babies grow is that you feed them. And then the natural growth process takes place. As they feed on the natural substance that is designed for them as a child, and as they feed on that substance and they naturally grow, then they add the attempts to walk with it. It's their efforts with the natural substance that does not come from them, from outside of them. You have to put it in them. If you treat the word of God like you would treat a baby, if you don't feed a baby, if you don't give them milk and then you say walk, they won't grow. As a Christian, some of y'all, maybe, not sure, you probably received the spirit, you were born again, but then you didn't have enough milk daily to walk. So you still crawling. You're still on your knees. You still can't walk the Christian walk because you're trying to do it without the spiritual substance that goes in your soul that God has provided. You don't understand the importance of the word of God for your life. If you understood or if you treated it like a baby needs to be fed every day for substance to naturally grow, if you understood it and you treated it as such, then by God's grace and on his authority of his word, you will grow. How often should you feed a baby? Every day? All throughout the day? You sure? 
then why is it baby Christians when the Bible says that our substance, our substance for growth is the word of God, why is it that we treat it as if it's not something we have to have every day? It's a physical illustration to give you a spiritual truth. Those of us that have been a Christian a long time, they will tell you, if you miss a day of God's word, you're going to have trouble. Because it's not the outside stuff that's going to affect you. It's how you handle it. This is a practical reality for all of us. But it's just thinking about it in the right way. You cannot have a diet Sunday service in order to grow and walk as a Christian. You must desire the pure milk of the word and you have to consume it every day. Now, when you are feeding a baby, do you just randomly feed them or are there time periods? Do you have to, is it kind of like, and it, and some, it's scheduled. And then sometimes they just randomly hungry. If you don't schedule your feedings, just like anything else in life that God has given us, practical as human beings, the spiritual concepts and truth are the same. What God does for us as physical beings, we have to apply those principles spiritually because they connect. Sometimes people do what we call the church over-spiritualize, I call it. Sometimes God teaches us spiritual truth through natural processes, like just reading and studying God's word, meditating on it. But they make you think there's some supernatural action that only they get. When you have the same spirit as they have. But if you don't feed your soul with God's words, the Holy Spirit that's in you has nothing to work with. For everyone who then lives on milk, at some point you got to grow up is unskilled in the, call it the word of righteousness, of living right, since he is a child. But solid food is from the mature, for those who have had their powers of discernment, trained, how saints? Constant practice. So you know God's word, you get it in you, then you try to walk it out, you obey it. As the baby's feeding, then they're walking. They're feeding, then they're walking. They're naturally growing, then they're crawling. Then they start getting up. And before you know it, it naturally happens. They just start walking. How did Nehemiah build the wall? How will you restore your broken condition? You must, must study God's word, obey God's word. And then as a result... Psalms 19, uh, 119, 911. The psalmist says it like this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to his word? How are you going to do that? He calls it hiding it in his heart. This is scripture memorization, studying. There's an acronym that's often used about how you study the Bible called SOAP. My apology, don't have it up there, but it's studying. And when you study you have to memorize. You have to do it daily. You have to do it consistently. Then there's, when you're studying, you have to have observation. 
to study properly. You need to observe what's happening in the passage. See who God is talking to. Then you have to make the application. Lord, speak to me. Okay, speak to me. How does this apply to my life? Then you got to prayer and make it personal. When you pray to God, that makes it go from just intellectual knowledge to something personal between you and him. And then God puts your personal heart with the word you're putting in him, with the spirit that's in you, and all of a sudden there's this natural growth. But if you don't put God's word in your soul, you won't grow. You'll keep trying, and you'll keep trying, but then you won't be able to walk. You got to soap to get clean. Finally, Romans 12, 2. Paul in Romans tries to break it down to us in a different angle, in a different way, in a different angle. We all know, most of us might know through psychology, just the, the way human beings operate. Here's where the natural connects with the spiritual. How you think and what you put into your mind, this isn't rocket science. I don't have to tell any of y'all this. If our kids are listening to certain music all day, watching Fortnite, or playing Fortnite all day, <laughs> my bag on Fortnite. But whatever gets in your child's mind starting at a young age, it will impact how they think, which impacts how they speak. Some come out of their mouth, you'd be like, what? where'd you get that from? Is because thoughts and words have been put in there, either by the parents saying stuff around them <laughs> or the things they listen to or what they watch. So how they think is being formed. You're telling them one thing, but all this other stuff is going into their mind. It is counterproductive. You're telling them to be one way, but what's going into their mind is opposite. So don't expect them to be something you're telling them to be when all that they're hearing and all that you're allowing them to do everywhere else is battling the one or two times you tell them to do right. What naturally happens to a human being is what is put in their thought process most consistently, which forms who they become. It informs how they speak and then how they act. When you first become a Christian, all those thoughts, all those patterns, all those habits are still with you. So what Paul says you have to do is you have to transform those old thoughts. And the way that you do that is you renew your mind. In Romans, in ESV, it says be transformed by the new renewing of your mind. And in uh, Romans 12, 2 in the NLT, I like how it says it, by changing the way you think. How God works is... He first wants to transform you before he gives you more responsibility. Some of us want a mate, a marriage. You want God to give you a new ministry. You want to succeed in life. But for most of us, God is saying you first need to transform your thinking before I give you more responsibility. You are not ready for more prosperity. You are not ready to lead more people. Some people get into relationships before they're ready. Because God says, I first need to transform you to think the way I think. And once you think the way I think, then you will have discernment to make the right decisions. Then you'll know the difference between right and wrong. Then you'll know if you should be around this person or be around that person. Parents, young folks, children, 
the Bible says that if you do not renew your mind, if you do not get the word in you daily, you will not grow. You renew your mind not just by a Sunday service, diet Sunday service. It's daily, putting it in your soul, putting it in your heart, and then there's a natural transformation, and then before you know it, your thoughts become God thoughts. Some of you, when somebody from the Lord tells you to do something, you take it as that they are judging you because you ain't thinking how God thinks. Sorry, a little overtime, but me and my daughter was riding, having a conversation. My daughter was saying to me, you know, Dad, um, and we were driving together. She says, you know, um, for you, Dad, I'm allowing you, is kind of how she was saying it, I'm allowing you to work with me to choose my husband, right? <laughs> because the way you raised me and I kind of respect you. And, and, you know, I could choose it. It's kind of my choice. But now that I'm grown up, I'm kind of working with you. So I was like, thank you, I think, you know. <laughs> but then she began to keep talking, and something profound began to happen. She began to talk about her future husband the way I used to talk about it when she was little. And I realized and helped her realize, honey, the reality is it's not just you allowing me to work with you, but your thoughts have become kind of my thoughts. Because you have been trained up, and it has been still and still, and you see that it works. And so it's not me telling you something to do that you don't want to do. It's you. It's now who you are. And now your thoughts are like your father's thoughts. My brothers and sisters, some of the struggles that some of you all have is your thoughts are not like your father's thoughts. You are mad when God sends people to tell you stuff and you're saying they're judging you is because you're not thinking the right way. And I understand it's a process for some of you. So for some of you, you won't be ready to hear this. But if you get the pure milk of the word in you and over time you grow, your thoughts will become God thoughts. And then you will understand God's will and you won't always be saying, God, what should I do? He, it will be a natural process. Apologies for overtime, and with that, more I could say, I could be here like a Baptist preacher, but I will let y'all off the hook. May the Lord remind you, the Spirit, as you leave here, of the three Ds. They will come, distractions, discouragement, deceptions, but may the Spirit of the Lord remind you if you want to grow in your Christian walk, if you're tired, if you you tired of living the same way you've been living, you have to desire the pure milk of the word so that your discernment can grow, your decision making. And the only way that's going to happen is if you make a scheduled commitment to study God's word as food for your soul. In Jesus' name.